Amen. Last week, Pastor John spoke a message entitled Spiritual Mothers and Fathers. How many of y'all were able to be in this in the service or heard the message? How many of you were challenged? If you were here, you were challenged. Our kids are growing up in a very evil world. I would say a more evil world than we grew up in. It doesn't matter how old you are, even if you're a young parent, they're gonna they're growing up in a very evil world. And so we talked about how we, if you have children, you were born natural parents. You have a responsibility to raise that child. But if you want to be a spiritual parent, you have to choose to l- do things spiritually. It, is, it doesn't come naturally. It may come naturally to love your kids and want to provide for your kids and want to make sure they have a good life. But if you want to be spiritual parents, you have to choose to be one. You are not just naturally one. You have to choose. And if you want to be a spiritual parent, then you have to understand the only responsibility you have as parents is for your family to know Jesus and to follow him. That's it. That is your sole responsibility. If you are a believer and you want to be a spiritual parent, then you have to understand that you gave birth to your children for the sole purpose of them knowing Jesus and becoming like him and spreading the gospel. That's it. You do, not, you, do, you do not birth them and you are not raising them so that they can have a comfortable life or they can have a life that you didn't have or have a successful life according to the world's standards. You, have, you are raising them to know Jesus. Listen, Academics, athletics, nice things cannot fight the devil, and they certainly cannot fight your flesh. A good job, a nice house, does not give you the power to overcome fear. Just look at Hollywood. Look at the richest people in the world. They're, they're as depressed and miserable as those who don't know Jesus, if they don't know Jesus. Only Jesus gives us the power to truly have an overcoming life. Sometimes parents have um, trouble balancing, you know, their kids' lives, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but I think I asked this last week. We have trouble balancing our kids' lives with, with, um, you know, church life. And it's like, how do we make this work? And I really believe it's because we have too many priorities or too many top priorities. We all have different priorities, but ultimately Jesus comes first and everything else comes second. Everything else comes second. My parents did a really good job with this. And I I think I mentioned this last week in the second service, but my parents raised me and my siblings in such a way that we literally didn't, we didn't fight going to church because we didn't know we could fight going to church. We were so programmed to know Jesus that it, I don't, do you remember us ever saying we don't want to go to, I don't remember thinking that. I was just like, oh, we go to church. I didn't know we couldn't go to church. Let's put it that way. But in this generation, we give our kids choices. And not only that, with our lives, we don't show that God is a priority. And so our kids pick up on that and they say, well, I can also make God not a priority if I want to. Everything else comes second. 
Everything else comes second. Education is important, and I mentioned this first service, but um, the reason your kids are getting educated is not so they can have a good job. The first textbook in America, when the pilgrims came over in the 1600s, the first textbook was called the New England Primer. And the, and the reason this textbook was created, this is, you can go back and, and do, the, do the research. It was created so that kids could understand and read the Bible. Education is good. Education gives us the tools we need to study, to be disciplined, to be held accountable, uh, to think critically. It gives us the tools necessary to open up the Bible and become disciples of Jesus. That was the reason that the pilgrims came over and they came over uh, to seek religious freedom so that they could serve God, the God of the Bible, the way that they wanted. That is the reason we have education. I remember growing up, my there was a couple of times my mom said, if you don't finish your homework, you're not going to youth group. And for me, I had, like I said a second ago, I had no other options. That was the only thing I like, no, I don't take youth group away. I hurry up, hurried up and finished my homework and didn't have any game consoles or anything. Um, that's another topic. But God has to come first. And everything else we do in our kids' life, kids', kids lives, has to um, support this endeavor. We were at our small group on Wednesday, and, and we were talking about, um, one, of the, one of the families was talking about how volleyball, you know, um, how that being in, 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 in uh, high school athletics, and not just volleyball, but any, any, how many of y'all have kids who are in, in football, soccer, baseball, softball? Is it an option for your kids to mispractice? Yes or no? And I mean, if you want to stay on the team, it's not an option. And so if the world has these standards for our kids, how come we have lesser standards for them? Listen, there's two responsibilities, and there's, there's a lot, but two primary responsibilities that we as spiritual parents have. Number one, we have a responsibility to train our children to have a relationship with Jesus and his word. That's the first responsibility. Listen, I am not the primary Bible teacher for your kids. Our youth pastor, our kids pastor, our nursery director are not the pro- do not carry the primary responsibility for teaching your kids the Bible. You know who does? You. But if we don't even crack open the Bible, there there's no way that we have a chance of teaching our kids anything about the Bible. It is your responsibility to train your kids about who Joshua was, who Moses was, who Jesus was, who David was, who these people in the Bible were. It is your responsibility. So let me ask you, what's your plan? Do you have a plan for your kid's academic life? Do you have a plan for your kid's athletic life? I guarantee if you're a good parent, you do. What's your plan for their spiritual life? How many of us are just waking up and winging it? What happens when you wing something most times? You fail. You fail. It doesn't work. What is your plan? Uh, one of the other couples in our group on, on Wednesday mentioned how, and I have to give them a lot of credit, they just started following the Lord. But they said, you know what, after, after um, we decided after a meal, I don't know if it was every day, but after our meal, we're going to sit down and study the Bible together for 30 minutes. Who does that? Those that are serious. What's your plan? Train up your children in the way they should go. That's your responsibility. What's your plan? Number two, train our children to have a relationship with the body of Christ. 
This is very important. We, we, you can't make it by yourself, and how much more them who are younger, who don't know anything, can't make it without other people their age. I encourage you, if you don't have your kids in youth group, send them to youth. If you don't have them come into kids' church, send them to kids' church. You, we have a responsibility to train our kids to know God, to love God and love people. That's actually the greatest commandment, love God and love people. As John was speaking last week, one of the things that I, um, I thought, this thought I had was, our children have a cross to carry. I think if, if, if we're honest, we as parents want our kids to have a good life and a great life. But a good life does not always equal a, um, an easy life. Okay, it's nothing wrong with us wanting our kids to have a good, a great life. But if you're trying to give them an easy life, they will not have a great life. Right? How many of y'all know that there's some, there's some hard lessons that we have to learn? There's some responsibility that we have to take on. We're not just awarded, you know, whatever we want in life just because we want it. There are some things we have to do to discipline ourselves. It's the same thing with our kids. Our kids have a cross to carry. And I, I mentioned my parents. They did a great job. Um... They did a great job demonstrating that, that there is a cross they have to carry. Can our kids be saved at a young age? Yes, they can be saved at a young age. So how come they don't have a cross? They do have a cross. And, my, and I, meant, I don't know if I mentioned this a second ago, but I, I was um, good at soccer growing up when I was in, in rec. And by the time we went to club, uh, it was time to go to club. My parents said, you're not going to play soccer anymore because that's going to take away from your time at church on Sunday. That was my cross I had to carry. Again, I didn't realize I was carrying a cross. They just, they just, they raised us in such a way. But that was a cross I had to carry. And throughout our lives, there are some things that we can't do because that is a cross that God is asking us to carry. And it's not just sin. Sometimes we think, well, it's just sinful things. No, there are some things that God does not want us to do because in that season or maybe forever, it is going to keep us away from God or keep us distracted and or keep us away from the body of Christ. But if we're going to follow Jesus, there is a cross that we have to carry. There's a cross our kids have to carry. And if our kids are going to carry a cross, who are they going to learn it from the most? From us, the parents. So the title of the message just for the next few moments is this. Where is your cross? Do you even re recognize you have one? Let me just say this. I'm going to say this at the end. But if you are not struggling with your flesh every day, if you're not trying to fight a temptation, trying to fight a desire, trying to fight something in your flesh, you're not carrying your cross. Because although I am the pastor every day, every day I wake up and I'm fighting something. I'm fighting my alarm for not because I don't want to get up and spend time with God or I'm fighting a temptation that's coming in my mind or I'm fighting a thought that's wanting to take residence in my mind. Every single day there is a, there is a fight. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. Hopefully I'm winning most of the time, but I'm fighting. But if you don't recognize that there is a fight in your soul, then you haven't even begun to pick up your cross and the flesh is winning. Where is your cross? If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 16. Just some context um, for the verses we're about to read. Jesus had just asked the disciples who they thought he was. 
And they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist resurrected. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're another great prophet. But then Jesus turned to them and asked them, but who do you say that I am? I know everyone else is saying this about me. Who do you say that I am? Peter steps up. We're going to talk about Peter in just a second, but he got, he got this right. This is why he was one of the leaders in the church, in the early church. Peter steps up and said, Jesus, we believe that you are the Messiah, the long-weighted, anointed one, the one that was prophesied by Isaiah, that was prophesied by Moses, the one that who's going to come and whose kingdom will have no end. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're right, Peter. He said, but flesh and blood, you didn't come up with this idea on your own. The Father revealed this to you, and on this revelation, I will build my church. The church is not built on Peter. It's built on this revelation that he is the Messiah. So the, the Bible doesn't record any more conversation, but imagine the disciples' excitement that finding out that this man that they had been following for whatever length of time is, in fact, the Messiah. They had seen the miracles. They had heard the, the amazing messages that he had preached, and he is now... Um, he is now confirming their suspicions that he is the Messiah. I'm sure they were super excited and they thought, man, I can't believe that the man that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years, our grandparents and our ancestors, he's here. They're like, man, finally, this kingdom that has been prophesied about is going to stay. And Isaiah 9 talks about that Jesus or the Messiah's kingdom will have no win. He's going to have a kingdom that never ends. Finally, the Romans are not going to oppress us anymore. Finally, no, we're never going to be taken into captivity anymore. So I, the Bible doesn't say this, but you can just imagine that they were excited, that they were, that they were actually walking with the Messiah. Now look at Matthew 16. This is the very next verse, Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, the time that they got this revelation, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes, basically the religious people, and be killed and on the third day be raised. Go ahead and leave that verse up for a second. If you're the disciples and you hear this, you, you're like, hold up, wait a second, what? You just, we ju you just confirmed, you just declared that you are the Messiah. This is not what the Messiah is supposed to go through. He's not going to be killed. He's going to kill people. He's going to overcome all of the oppressors so that we can live free again the way that it looked when King David and King Solomon were our kings. Look at the next verse, verse 22. And it says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Think about Peter. He, had, he must have been pretty confident because he had just correctly identified that Jesus was the Messiah. He, had a, he was a little, little prideful, a little boastful. He was feeling really confident. He took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Think how confident you have to be to rebuke the person that, you, that just said it was your Messiah. Saying, far be it from you, Lord Jesus. This shall never happen to you. He said, Jesus, don't you know who you are? You're the Messiah. You don't deserve to be suffer, to suffer. You don't deserve a crown of thorns. You deserve, you deserve a crown, a real crown, a crown of gold, a crown of rubies, of diamonds. You deserve a throne. He said, "Don't you know who you are? You're the Messiah." Is it honestly? It's actually. 
if you didn't know, like the Old Testament prophet is actually a very like natural response. No, the Messiah is not supposed to die. But look at Jesus's response. Verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, who's he talking to? Thank you. Get behind me, Satan. Does he say Peter? Does he say Peter or Satan? Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He said, you're not thinking with a spiritual mind. We're talking about spiritual parents. You're not thinking with a spiritual mind. You're thinking with a natural mind. What's happening here? Is Jesus talking to Peter or is he talking to Satan? I mean, it's kind of hard. He's, a, he's addressing He's addressing. Pete, he's addressing Satan, but is, is Satan standing right there? He's, he's not, but he's still addressing, to, addressing him, which means he probably is right there. What's happening? This is what I believe happened. Satan, Jesus addressed Satan in Peter. Satan was channeling Peter, trying to tempt Jesus from going to the cross. Now, was he, was Peter a, there was, the church wasn't, the church was established in the book of Acts because that's when Jesus ascended. But let's just for argument's sake, was Peter part of the church at this point? Yes, he was. Did you know that the devil can use you? Did you know the devil can channel you? Did you know the devil can use your voice? Did you know the devil can use your mind? Did you know the devil can use your ideas? How does that happen? How do we get to a place where the enemy can use us like this? Because Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He went past the voice that was speaking to him in the natural and went straight to the, to the enemy because he knew who was speaking to him. How can we get to a place where we're used? Through open doors, through spiritual open doors. Did you know you can open up door, spiritual doors to God in your life by being obedient, by serving him, by walking with him? But did you know you can open up spiritual doors to the enemy at the same time? What are some of these doors? Anger, disobedience, fear. Did you know that you can fear something and hold on to it and be real comfortable in fear and open up a door to fear? Pride's another one. How come, what, and what was Peter's open door? Peter's open door, I believe, was pride. He rebuked Jesus. And actually, later on, if you keep reading in the Gospels, when Jesus told the disciples, hey, um, they're going to arrest me and you're going to run away. And Peter said, no, Jesus, the rest of these guys may run away from you, but I'm not going to run away from you. And Jesus just said, I just told you that you're going to run away from me. And, you are, and are you going to be so prideful to say you're not? Jesus, uh, Peter's open door was pride, which is why Satan used Peter. The reason he used Peter is because Satan was trying to tempt Jesus to embrace his role as Messiah and not go to the cross. He could have picked the other, he could have, honestly, it could have been any of the other disciples, but because Peter's open door was pride, he used Peter to tempt Jesus. And what was Satan trying to tell Jesus? Jesus, you're the son of God. You came from heaven. Are you really going to go to a cross? Are you really going to demean yourself in front of your creation and go to the cross? What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You know my assignment. You know why I was set. Yes, you, you have tried to tempt me. You tempted me in the wilderness. You're trying to tempt me now. But get behind me. You are a hindrance to me.
You see, the devil was trying to get Jesus to embrace himself, which is why he used Peter, because Peter got really proud and embraced himself. Hey, I'm the one that correctly identified Jesus as the Messiah. But you see, if Jesus had, had uh, fell to that temptation, then he wouldn't have gone to the cross for our sins, and he would have disobeyed the Father, which we'll get to that in just a second. So what does Jesus do? Jesus responds, um, responds to Satan's temptation, addresses Satan's temptation or lie, and or lie, and reveals the truth about what's expected of him and his disciples. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This was the exact opposite of what Peter was trying to tell him. Peter was trying to say, Jesus, you're the Messiah. This is not going to happen to you. And Jesus said, actually, unless you want to come after me, you have to learn to put yourself down, take up a cross and follow me. Listen, Satan tells us, embrace ourselves. Embrace yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. Did you know that Satan's lie is the world's mantra today? What feels good? Are you a, do you feel like a man? You're a man. If you feel like a woman, you're a woman. If you feel like both, hey, you're both. Hey, if you feel like a tree, you're a tree. If you feel like a dog, you can be, a dog. You can be whatever you want. Embrace yourself. Embrace your desires. Embrace your wants. That is the most satanic thing that we can do is do what we want. That is actually, if anyone has studied or maybe even been a part of the cult or the church of Satan, their vision is do what pleases yourself. Do whatever you want. In the kingdom of Satan, in the kingdom of darkness, in the kingdom of this world, we do what we want. But if we're going to live in the kingdom of God, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Listen, Jesus had every right. This is what's amazing to me. He had every right to, to set up his kingdom as Messiah. He was perfect. He never sinned. We may think we have a right to do this or do that, but we're sinful. We don't have any rights. If there was one person that ever lived that had a right, he had the right. But he lay down his right so that he could please the Father. And how did he please the Father? Look at John 6, 38. He said this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, the Father. And this is his will, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What was the Father's will? What's John three sixteen? God so loved the world that he gave his Son. For who? For us. It was the Father's will that the Son be sent, live a perfect sinless life according to the Father's will, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, the necessary sacrifice for our sins. That was the Father's will. If Jesus had sinned one time, he would have disqualified himself as our perfect sacrifice. And let's say he didn't sin. Let's say he said, you know what, God, I'm not gonna, Father, I'm not going to sin, but I don't feel like preaching today. 
I don't feel like going to heal that person. I, you know what? I'm just going to take this week off. I'm going to be here for three, three and a half years. I'm going to take this one year. I, I am going to give my life after. I'm going to live my life for myself for the first year. At that point, he would have not been doing the Father's will, and he would have been disqualified. It would have also been sin. See, Jesus didn't just carry a cross and die on a cross one day in his life. He carried a cross every day of his life. Because every day he had to choose to deny his will, to deny. Look, Jesus was a man. He was a, he was a man the way that us men are men. Do you think he had desires to marry somebody? Do you think he had desires to go on a vacation? We know that he rested. But do you think he had desires to maybe, he grew up the son of a carpenter? Do you think maybe he wanted to be a carpenter like his earthly father? There's no doubt in my mind that he had these things. But every day he denied himself and said, God, not my will, but your will be done, Father. He didn't just carry a cross one time. He carried a cross every single day because he denied himself every single day. Listen, what is our cross? To carry our cross is to daily die to our will and instead daily embrace God's will for our life. If you are going to carry a cross, if you're going to follow Jesus and therefore carry a cross, then every day that you wake up, you have to decide, who am I living for? Am I living for myself or am I living for God? Listen, you can be a good person. You can be a humanitarian. You can be, um, you could devote your life to the nonprofit world. You can devote your life to people. But if it's your idea and not God's idea, then you have not yet begun to carry your cross because it's still your will. It's still your plan. It's still your way. There's a lot of good people. I would say there are some people that, are, that live better than Christians. They love people more. They're more serving. They're more giving. I mean, in all the categories. But they're not saved because they're still living according to their idea for the world and not God's idea for them. Listen, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to deny ourselves. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. That's Jesus. Therefore, all have died. Basically, what this verse is saying, it's saying because Jesus died for us and we accept his sacrifice, then we died with him. He died literally in our place, but because we accept what he did, we essentially died. Therefore, our, our, our sins are taken care of. And he died for all. That the, listen carefully, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Yes, we don't have to go to the cross. We don't have to die for our sins. But the word says, if he died for us, the least we could do is live for him. Listen, you don't get to choose where you live. You don't get to choose where you work. You don't get to choose who you marry. You don't get to choose whether you're a man, woman, dog, or anything else. You don't get to choose. I don't get to choose. I was watching this show the other day. <laughs> last night, okay, last night I was watching the show. I'm trying to be holy. I watched a show like a month ago. No, I was watching it last night. And um, it's a show called Million Dollar Listing. It's about real estate. Anybody heard that show? I love I love. I love architecture. Um, I love it, all that. Just the creativity is just really, really cool to me. 
And this guy was talking about how he started with, he was, he was in, um, he was a banker or he was in, um, I forgot, whatever industry. And he made a lot of money and he lost it. And then now he built up this company and, and now he's multi-millionaire. His house is like 20, 15, $20 million house in LA. And he said, <laughs> I, uh, I began to put myself in those shoes. And he said, there's only, there's three things in our company, three things that you got to have to be successful. He said, you got to be, you got to be, um, you got to be hungry. You got to really want it. And I was like, okay, yes, I, I would, I would really, I would really like that. I'd like to live like him. I'd like to drive what he drives, wear what he wears, live where he lives, all that. And then he said, you got to be likable. I'm like, oh, I got that one. I'm likable. I think I'm likable. And then he said, you got to be an expert. I'm like, okay, that's all I like. I just got to be an expert. And I began just kind of putting myself in the situation. Then I realized, oh, but you're a pastor in Odessa. And I thought, and it's not bad. I mean, I, we're doing, as a church, we're doing great. It could be, it could be different, but, but we're, we're doing great. And, and then I realized, I just thought the Lord said, but you gave your life to me a long time ago, huh? So when you gave me your life, you relinquished what you wanted for your life. You see, we all have a cross to carry. You don't get to choose anything for your life. And I think, unfortunately, because of the way the American church has evolved recently, we've become seeker-friendly. We have these nice things to give people an experience. And we may not say it word for word, hey, we want you to do what you want or have a good time, but this is what we subconsciously communicate. Oh, whatever you want. If you are going to be a believer, there's a cross that you have to carry, and it's not comfortable. In Matthew 16, the last, I want to read one more verse in Matthew 16. After Jesus respond, exposes Satan's scheme against him and against his church, he reveals one more thing about the relationship between the cross and following him. And it's something, honestly, that I had not thought about before. Look at Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, we already read this, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you could leave that verse up. He's saying, if you want to hold on to your life, if you want a blessed life, a life full of peace, full of joy, and honestly, this is why we, we want like a bigger paycheck. We want nicer things. So we want peace and joy. But only God can give those things. He said, he's saying, if you want to hold on to your life, to this blessed life, this good life, then you have to let go of your will for your life. But if you're going to hold on to your life and do what you want to do and marry who you want to marry and go wherever you want to go and pursue what you want to pursue, you will lose your life. You're going to lose it. So Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Now, when I read the second, the second verse, the Lord showed something, kind of revealed something to me. How come Jesus didn't just say, deny yourself and follow me? I mean, you can make the argument, he already went to the cross. We don't need, why would we need to take up a cross? That's punishment. He already took our punishment. The word says he took our sins. He took our punishment. That's why we can pray for people to be healed because he took our punishment. We don't have to, we don't have to carry that anymore. How come he added, take up your cross? 
I believe that he said, take up your cross, because that is the only way we can deny ourselves. The cross was probably, arguably, the most effective way of death, of death by torture in history. Not only did the cross kill you, it tortured you in a way that no other instrument of death ever had before. I don't have time to go into the logistics, but basically you would hang on, hang on this tree, this wooden, this wooden, this uh, cross, and you break your knees, and so you were, you literally, you would, suff- you would suffocate, your, your lungs would collapse, and it was just a horrible, horrible way to die. I really believe that the reason Jesus picked the cross as an instrument the w- of way he, the way he should die is not just because it showed how gruesome it was or how sinful, how bad our sin was. It was to show what, would, what it would take for our flesh to die. How many of you know your stubbornness and pride is strong? How many know your flesh is really strong? You want to do one thing, and you know you should do the right thing, but you don't want to do it. This is why Jesus said you have to take up your cross every day because your flesh is alive every day, and it takes torturing and killing your flesh in order to deny yourself. This is the reason that Jesus said take up your cross because it is the only way that we could be set free. Your cross was given to you so that you could be set free. I've never seen it like that before. We see the cross as a burden. We see it as this heavy thing. But it's actually an instrument of life because it is killing your flesh. And if we live according to our flesh, it will kill us. Look at Romans Romans uh, 8 verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life in peace. The cross was given to us so that we could put our flesh to death so that we could have real life in real peace. You don't get peace by following your flesh, by following your dreams. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You cannot discipline your flesh. You may be able to say, well, I'm going to do what God wants, but in this area, I still want to do what I want, but I won't let it get out of hand. It's not possible. If you live, if you allow any part of your flesh in your life, it will eventually kill you. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, verse 8. They cannot please God. Listen, we have been given a cross so that we can continually deny ourselves and follow Jesus. The truth is your cross will save your life. It will save your life. Now, going back to our kids real quickly. Our kids deal with fear. They deal with anxiety, for sure, anxiety and depression. How many of you have heard your kids or heard other kids say this? Anxiety and depression. You know the problem with the world today and with our kids is we give our kids everything they want. You know what that, you know what that means? That means we're doing exactly what Satan wants us to do. Embrace yourself. Do what you want. You know the quickest way to get depressed and the quickest way to get overwhelmed is to think about yourself. If you are busy thinking about other people, you literally leave no space, room, time in your brain, in your heart to get depressed about what you have or don't have. Is that, is that true? If you will think about, the reason why our kids are so depressed is because they are fixated on themselves and it's because of parents, because we have not given our kids a cross. 
How many of you want your kids to not struggle with fear, depression, and all these things? You know, you know how to deal with it? Give them their cross. Because when you have a cross, you're denying yourself, denying what you want. But how are kids to learn how to carry a cross unless we carry a cross? Listen, our kids are not dumb. They're actually really, really smart. You may think, well, I didn't, I'm not saying this. They're watching what you value. If, <laughs> so how am I, I'm going to just piece this together. Our kids are dealing with, with all these things, fear, anxiety, depression. What do they need? They need a cross. Well, how do they get their cross? Where do they learn to carry a cross? Your cross. But if you are not carrying your cross, your kids are going to live in bondage their entire life. Which means their fear, their anxiety, their depression, all the things they deal with is on you. What are you going to do about it? Listen, if you make God an option, they'll take that and run with it. They won't make, they'll, they won't make him an option. They'll just say, well, maybe I'll come to him when I'm older. I want to ask you, where is your cross? Where is your cross? Yes, it hurts the flesh. I forgot to share this story. I got so excited last, last message. But I remember when I was 21, I had just gone, I was separated, about to go through a divorce. And um, how many of y'all know I like playing golf? I think I've said it a couple times. I love golf. Uh, (laughs) Several times. I had an opportunity when I was 21 to caddy for a uh, semi-pro, a local semi-pro. And he had memberships at both country clubs in Odessa and Midland. And um, he said, man, you can play whenever you want. There's something, he had obviously a lot of money and he had, um, so he said, man, we'll practice after work. We'll go play nine holes, but you can play during the day. You can play whenever you want. And as a young kid and a golfer, I thought, man, this is amazing. Like amazing, man. This is the dream job right here. I get to play golf. I get to, you know, hang out at the country club. And it was all going well until our last conversation. And I told him who I was. I told him, you know, I'd been in ministry and this and that. And, and he decided to disclose something that he was doing that was openly immoral. Honestly, it wasn't breaking the law. It wasn't breaking the law. It wasn't anything like that. But it was openly immoral. And if I caddied for him, then I would be associated with someone who did not know Jesus and openly and was open about it. I remember talking to several people, and it was everyone said yes. Just, it's okay. Hey, that's not you. That's not you. Like, that's, that's his walk. This is your walk. But you can go ahead and work for him, make some money, and play golf every day. And then I talked to my parents. And I remember my mom saying, I don't think you're supposed to do that. And I was 21, I could have done whatever I wanted. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit bear witness with what she said, and I didn't take it. Could I have taken it? Yes. Was it wrong to take it? You can't point to a verse in the Bible, per se. But the Holy Spirit said, Josh, this is part of your cross right now. Even though other people could take this and enjoy it, I'm asking you to do something different. 
Let me tell you, there are some things that God is asking us to do or not do that we want to do or, or we don't want to do. But we have to decide, am I going to take up my cross, deny what I want, deny my plan for my life, who I want for my life, when I want it for my life, and follow him? I want to read one more verse, and then I'll finish. Philippians 2, verse 3. Just read this very carefully with me. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He says, Don't do anything from selfish ambition. It's okay to be ambitious, but not for yourself. And I would even say, You may say, I'm doing it for my family. That's still for yourself. They're your blood. They're your blood. Do it, yes, for your family, but do it for others as well. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility, count others more significant, more important than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And then he says, I want you to have a mind like Jesus had. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He said, even though he was the son of God, he did not take on the privilege and the notoriety as God's son. But it says he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What was his reward? Look at verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus denied himself more than any person that has ever lived, he got the reward that no other person will ever have. The name that is above every name. The name that every knee is going to bow at one day. And listen, the more we deny ourselves and take up our cross, the more reward we will get. You're not just denying yourself for no reason or just for the Father's pleasure. He is a good God, and he will reward those who seek him. The reward for carrying our cross will always outweigh the burden of carrying our cross. You may not see it. You will see some of it in this time, but when we get to heaven, the things that we sacrificed on this side of eternity will be seen on the other side. And let me tell you, you're going to be so glad that you picked up your cross and followed him.